All right, so uh, before we begin today, um, uh, before we begin today, um, like I said, I want to make, uh, the, yeah, the clip needs to be switched around. Uh, I want to make very clear uh, that our church is not just a black history church in February, uh, that we believe these conversations need to be ongoing throughout the entire year, uh, not just uh, during February, like I said, but uh, I think this table and this is a great opportunity for us out here to learn and to have conversations. And I want to read a quote that really underscores this from this book, I'm Still Here, uh, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. I highly recommend it. Very short read, very quick read. Uh, but Austin, she writes this, talking about just conversation in general. And talking about, she said, the truth will set us all free. Sadly, too many of us in the church don't live like we believe this. We live as, as if we're afraid of acknowledging the past. We'll tighten the chains of injustice rather than break them. We live as if the ghosts of the past will snatch us if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So instead, we walk around the valley, talk around the valley, and we speak of the valley with cute euphemisms. And she goes on to kind of just detail the fact that not having conversations is a big problem. And not having those conversations doesn't fix anything. In fact, not having those conversations is the reason why we are still sometimes culturally blind and culturally unaware. So I encourage you, even if you're the most aware human being, that your awareness can be illuminated and continue to be illuminated in any area of your life, especially this one. So I want to encourage you, please, as you walk out, please make your way to that table. Learn something, even if you know everything at that table. Have a great conversation. I encourage you to do that. Uh, so today we're going to continue our series here on Luke. Last week, we finished out Luke chapter 8. We spent three weeks on Luke 8. It was a great chapter. I loved it. I loved every part of it. Uh, but last week, we had two things we walked away from, two questions. right? As a disciple, what is Jesus asking you to do? What, what hard question is Jesus, Jesus act, asking you to inspect in your life? It could be as simple as, do you trust me? Are you aware? Where is your faith? We're going to touch on that question again this morning. But that was as a disciple, what question is Jesus asking you? And as the disciple maker, how can you yourself be better at asking questions? Right? We talk about so many things that we can't do that Jesus did do, but there are things that Jesus did do that we can be better at. One of them being asking questions, asking better questions. So hopefully you were encouraged by that last week. I know that I was. So before we begin, I want you to think about this for a second. What do you like to take with you on a road trip? Maybe you haven't been on a road trip in a long time. We typically go in the summertime somewhere with the family, and we have some key staple items. I'm sure you do as well. For me, I have goldfish. They're there, okay? They will always be there. If there's not goldfish, there's a problem, right? I will have my coffee, I have to have coffee. Everybody, I'm a, me and Leon were talking about this. We're sleeping, right? That's a scary guy who drives your teens around, right? But I promise you, I never went on a youth trip without a lot of coffee. Everybody was fine. Coffee and sunflower seeds, right? I would show up at an event, and I would be feeling a certain way because all I had was salt and caffeine for hours. But it kept us all alive, and it kept me awake. So... God bless sunflower seeds and coffee. But for my kids, they like to make the back seat like their little oasis. They have comfy blankets and pillows and all their stuff back there. They like to be as comfortable as possible. A lot of times we'll have 
laptop with a movie on that we can put on the car audio and I can listen to, maybe just kind of entertain us all. But we all have our kind of road trip uh, staples. And I want you to keep that in mind this morning as we catch up with the 12 apostles. Adam just read this for us, but like I like to do, I like to read scripture together, okay? But we're going to catch up with the 12 apostles who are a little bit on a world tour, a little bit of a road trip themselves. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And she, and she sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them to take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you, have, until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Okay, so we kind of drop in. Luke 8 is a whirlwind for Jesus, right? He's going from town to town in these places, these scary things with legion, right? This bleeding woman is touching Jesus. All these things are happening. It's really, the focus is about Jesus. So now we go to Luke chapter 9, and we're here presented with this new kind of facet of the power of Jesus. He's bestowing on the 12 apostles, right? What does it say here? He gives them all a power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. Sounds pretty special. Sounds like an interesting thing. But let us not forget the entire reason why Jesus came in the first place, right? Luke 4, 43, but he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Let's not forget the entire mission and focus of Jesus' ministry is not to heal diseases and to cure people of all these things. That's a great part of it all. But the reason why Jesus came to earth is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God everywhere he went. And so he gives this power and authority to the apostles, but really it's about this at the same time, right? It's not just about the demons and the diseases. It's about the good news being proclaimed everywhere they went. And so they're given this power and authority in Luke chapter 9, but I can't help but think that, you know, this is kind of a scary assignment, right? I would fear all the encounters I was about to have after Jesus gave me these, you know, this authority, Right? But it seems to me that we have this Luke 8 kind of starting maybe towards the front of the, the, the uh, passage where Jesus and the apostles are on the boat, remember? And Jesus calms the storm and the apostles are freaking out like, we're going to die. And then Jesus calms the storm and he says, where is your faith? Right? I can't help but have this in the back of my mind as we enter Luke chapter 9. Right? That tough question that the apostles were met with, where is your faith, is kind of like, hey, remember when I asked that question? Now it's time to own up to this lack of faith that you had and start having some faith. I'm going to give you these, these tools, this authority, this power to do these great works, but it's all going to kind of be in response to this question I asked you, where is your faith? And after that thought, um, again, I'm thinking back to as the apostles receiving this power and authority, after having this question in the back of my mind, and then thinking about all the things that Jesus has done in front of me, and saying, oh man, I'm about to walk into some legion-like moments, right? I don't really have the opportunity to stay with the boat anymore, right? That's what I said last week when we, we approached legion. I would opt in say, hey, Jesus, I will stay with the boat. You go and handle that crazy person over there, right? I will stay back here. But now we enter Luke chapter 9, and Jesus says, no, <laughs> you can't do that anymore. 
you're my guys. I'm giving you this power. I'm giving you this authority. And now you have to step into legion-like atmospheres, right? This is a big moment, and this is a being sent moment for these people. So we continue on in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who were needing healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go in surrounding villages in the countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go buy food for this whole crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So I find it interesting uh, when we get to this section here that if you look back here at the beginning of verse 9, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all this. They took, uh, he, then he took them away and they withdrew to themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and started following him. I'm kind of like wondering if this is Jesus saying, see how it feels when I try to withdraw and you guys keep coming after me. I'm trying to withdraw and spend time with God, and yet you keep coming with me. So let's withdraw, and I want you to see how it feels when you're trying to be tired and trying to, you know, take some rest, and now the people are going to come after you. I wonder if Jesus is a little petty here, maybe. I don't know. Sets them up, say, see how it feels to be tired of sharing the gospel and healing all these people? But they're seeking solitude, but yet the people seem to find them. And I think that has a lot to do with their message. It has a lot to do what they're doing kind of in unison and the people are just curious and they have to get to Jesus and they have to get to the apostles and Jesus cannot help himself right verse 11 he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God the reason why he was there and he healed those who were needing healing those two things go hand in hand always accompanied by talking about Jesus cannot help himself in these moments but the people need food and Jesus is going to feed them Okay, very significant. We could walk away here and it can be an awesome miracle that Jesus did, but I think we need to pause here for a second and go a long time back in the future, back back to the future, no, back in the past uh, to something that happened in Exodus that's going to go hand in hand with what Jesus is up to at this time. So we go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. And uh, this is kind of the message that Moses receives from God. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You might be familiar with the story where Moses is kind of called by God to go and release the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity, for they have been there for a very long time, crying out to God. And God finally hears their cries and says, you know what, Moses, go and set my people free. And you you might know the story. He goes and Pharaoh is not interested in doing this. He has all these plagues kind of happen to him. And eventually, right, the Israelites are able to go and God provides a way. Right? And I I want you to look at this because this is a very typical kind of sending of, of a prophet. Right? God 
calls on somebody and they go, and it's usually a very hard message they're bringing with them. But God nevertheless sends these people out to do a very difficult task. But God, time and time again, repeats to their prophet, I am with you. I will be with you as you go. This is difficult, but I am sending you and you need to go. And so this is kind of the way it goes. God sends a prophet. He gives him what he needs and God blesses his people. Right? If you remember, God gives Moses all these to say. He even gives his, his brother Aaron to kind of be a spokesperson for it all. Because Moses time and time again says, but what about this? But what about this? Kind of going back and forth with God and God every single time provides Moses a way forward. And eventually God does bless his people through his sent prophet. God sends his prophet and does an incredible thing. So we look at this kind of model for this sending and we look at what happens here with Jesus. Jesus sends his disciples, right? He gives them what they need, this power and authority, and they are blessed by God. Not only the disciples, but the people that spoke to, right? We see a parallel, we see a comparison taking place, but there is more at stake at this time. We have to go back again to Exodus, back to the desert, right? So God's people are tired, and if you remember from Exodus, they get this kind of feeling that, you know what? We're hungry. You know where where we weren't hungry? Back in Egypt. Back when we were slaves to the Egyptians. Things were much better back then. Right? They keep grumbling and complaining, and Moses has had enough, right? And God's had enough at some point, too, with God's people, right? But God still provides a way for his people in the midst of all this grumbling and complaining. He sends them food. Exodus chapter 16, look at what it says. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in that morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appear on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did. They were told some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Interesting. So God provides this food for them, this sustainable, renewable resource that God gives his people in the very desperate situation. Right? He says, only gather what you need. It seems that whenever they went to go see how much they had, it was never too much and never too little. God supplied them exactly what they needed. In this desperate situation where they did not really maybe even deserve it from our perspective, right? They're complaining all the time. God just did this miraculous thing. Of course God is going to take care of you. But even in that place where God's people are so you know, so stubborn about their situation, God still provides exactly what they need. No one had too much and no one had too little. They were exactly sustained what they needed. So now what does Jesus do? Right? Jesus makes food out of absolutely nothing, right? Same kind of situation where God takes this food and gives it to his people and they're sustained perfectly. But yet Jesus in this place, the people are coming to him, they're hungry for whatever he's got, right? 
Jesus, out of nowhere, creates this incredible feast for thousands of people, right? They're perfectly fed, but there's a very big difference between these two stories, right? In this one, everybody had exactly what they needed. But what happened after this feast that they had with the 5,000 people? There's more left over. There's more left over. There's 12 basketfuls. And if you want to have a Bible class about the numerology, that's fantastic. Where I'm not interested this morning, okay? What I want you to walk away this morning understanding is that Jesus took this event that was so, so like, fortunate for the people of God, and he wants them to remember that and say, see how God took care of you and sustained you perfectly? I'm doing the same exact thing, but there's so much more to come. There's 12 basketfuls. I am overflowing with righteousness to give to you if you would just open your eyes and see. Jesus is saying something so, so deep here. God's people have always been loved. But what God is saying is there is much more yet to come. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm just getting started. You know, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the only miracles that happens across all four Gospels. And I love the way that John handles this, this miracle here. I have to read. I know it's the Luke study. This, these words are so bold. Jesus says this, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Do you hear what he just said to these people? Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This was something that was very significant for the people, right? This imagery of this manna, God sustaining his people. Jesus isn't laughing in the face of God or saying, hey, that was some weak stuff back then. But what he's saying is, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors died, but through me, you're going to be able to live forever. I am the bread of life. I am overflowing and abundant with all the things that you could ever possibly Right, This is a bold-takes-only situation for Jesus. I am the bread of life. The overflowing nature of God feeding his people is only a shadow of what is going to come. Right, There's little, excuse the pun, but breadcrumbs right, that Jesus is leaving us here. This feeding is only a shadow of what is to come. These things, these healings, these miracles are only a shadow of the things that I'm going to do later. And it's going to blow your mind. I'm only getting started is kind of what Jesus is saying here in these moments. But remember why Jesus does any of this. He sees the struggle that the people are going through. And he embraces it. And not only does he embrace it, but he sits there in that struggle with his people. And he says, I get it. But I am the bread of life. I am a way forward through you in this struggle that you're going through. In light of that, just as Moses, just as Jesus, just as the disciples, they're kind of all these sent ones, we are also sent ones with this similar message, right? We cannot necessarily do these miracles that Jesus talks about, but we can share this bread with everybody that we come in contact with, this bread that is sustainable forever. We are the sent ones. So I want to have this question for you uh, as we kind of wrap up here this morning. 
What would happen if we acknowledged the abundant grace and mercy of God on a day-to-day basis? Because that's what we're talking about here, right? This overflowing that Jesus kind of represents with the feeding of the 5,000, this incredible miracle, is symbolic for what is happening and is going to happen. And this is this grace and mercy that's going to change everything forever. What would happen if we acknowledge that abundant grace and mercy of God every single day? That might be a little bit big, so I want you to think about it this way. Since we're talking about food, how do you eat when you know there is plenty for everyone? Think about that. We just had this huge potluck. There was so much food, guys. Whenever we eat at this, at this, at this uh, church, there's so much food. I love it. I bring food home with me. And when I'm eating in here, I eat a lot of food here too. My plate is full. You know why? Because I know there's plenty of food for everybody. These two things, I think, go together, right? How do you eat when you know there is plenty for everyone? I have a couple things that I want to leave us with. These two things are the same question, thinking of it differently. We would give more generously. If we knew there was enough for everybody, if you knew that you were taken care of, you would give more generously. Grace, compassion, love, whatever it might mean. I know that we hate talking about finances, but know who didn't? Jesus. Jesus talked about money all the time. And it's talking about giving and all these things. We would give more generously if we realized how much grace and mercy we receive on a daily basis. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about all these other things as well. If we knew how much we've received, we'd be so much more willing to give it to other people. We just finished reading the C.S. Lewis book in our young adults class, talking about, uh, essentially, he, he left us with that Christians should be the people that are most gracious in the world because we've been given the most amount of grace or we recognize we've been given the most amount of grace in the entire world, right? When we receive Jesus and we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to grace. But in saying yes, we're also the sent ones that have to give it to other people. Who needs grace in your life? That's a tough question to ask because I guarantee you're thinking of somebody right now. Who do you need to give grace? Who do you need compassion to? Who do you need to love better in your life? Give more generously because you yourself have been given generously too. The second thing I think that would be different is our default setting would just be thankful. Man, we got a lot of people who like to complain in the world, and I complain too. Don't get me wrong. I don't do, I've, I'm sure I've complained to some of you in here. Right? But our default setting would be thankful if we understood how much grace we've been given, how much this overflowing richness that Jesus gives us, we would be more thankful. And I think giving is one thing, but understanding and just having a disposition of, you know what, I'm thankful I woke up today. One of the biggest blessings of working at the food pantry that, that, I, that I kind of get to you know, get the benefits from is that I walk with people to their cars, and a lot of times these people are walking kind of slow, walking with a limp sometimes. Maybe they got a cane or a walker, and I ask how you're doing, and majority of the time, they're not doing well. But a majority of the time, they also say, God woke me up today. And I'm sure you know somebody like that in your life, but man, that default setting when it's like you could be complaining about your recent surgery or you could be complaining about your sickness. And I want to make a difference here. It's okay to share your burdens. Don't hear me saying that you can't do that, please. But I think that when we complain and when we're not thankful, we're, we're kind of undermining the good things that God is doing in our lives. 
this abundant grace that we receive. So leaning more towards thankfulness rather than grumbling or complaining, you know, Paul's words there. And last is this. There's no need to get ours when we realize the abundant nature of Christ. And this is kind of how the first point goes hand in hand. And this whole idea about road trips and this whole thing, the things that we bring with us. If we realize the abundant nature of the grace of Jesus Christ, I don't think we would be as selfish. I think we would be so much more interested in helping others understand this grace rather than us just trying to harbor it up for ourselves. And that's a weird way to think of it because I don't think of harboring grace for myself, but when I do not share, I am being selfish. When I am fearful in situations where I don't, this person doesn't want to talk to me or they don't want to hear this out, I assume a lot of things, I am being selfish. I'm protecting my own insecurities because, you know, I wouldn't say it like this, but it's kind of like that. There's no need to get what we need or get ours when we realize the abundant nature of Christ. It's that simple. Christ says, please, you know, keep coming. Right when they go off into the wilderness and people tend to find Jesus and his disciples, he says, please, I'm going to tell you about the kingdom of God. I'm going to heal you. But even that is a shadow of the things to come. So this morning, I hope you can walk away with the 5,000 and say, you know what? Jesus has given me so much. But if you're sitting here and you're, and you're thinking, Jimmy, you don't have a clue as to how my life is. This abundant nature, this abundant grace that you're talking about it, I get it in theory, but in practice, you are just saying churchy stuff. I want to talk to you. We have plenty of people in this church that want to talk to you. We have elders that come forward and there's elders that come back. All of our contact information is available and I want you to talk to me. Because there's a way forward for you to recognize that grace. Because in the middle of a dark time, you can't see the light. But we talked a couple weeks ago about this light that Jesus has for us and he expects for us to be. Light tends to do a lot to the darkness when it's shown brighter and brighter. So allow that light to be permanent. Allow that light to have just kind of a, a foot in the door. But if you're surrounded by darkness, I just pray that whatever happens this morning, that your heart is, is changing, your heart is soft to say, you know what? I need to do something because this abundant life of Jesus sounds really good and I need to know more about it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for giving us an opportunity to spend some time in your word. And God, I just pray for everybody in this room. Uh, Those who recognize the abundant grace and mercy they receive, but also those who are saying that this is just not true for them. That they might understand it in theory, but in practice this is just silly and that this is not for them. God, I pray that their hearts are open this morning and uh, ready to receive this word. Because, God, we recognize and we affirm that your grace and mercy is so abundant that we can't even fathom the depths of your love. God, thank you so much for that truth. To Jesus we pray, amen. So this is the time we do offer for you to come forward, but like I said, you do not have to come forward if that's not what you want to do. But I do implore you to talk to somebody today about what you're going through. And just like I said... It's not complaining, okay? Take that, take that um, definition off. But if you are struggling and you need help through that struggle, we want to invite you right now to talk to somebody coming forward. But please, I implore you to talk to somebody today while we stand and sing.